0: Well, good morning, Quest. How's everyone doing today? In the last service, I set my coffee on the piano, and I was scolded by Dusty. He actually took the coffee and wanted to throw it in my face. I'm like, you can't do that. I'm just kidding. He didn't do that. He's not violent. Um, well, I, I've got to say, I I, I I have been so blessed recently. By um, the community of Quest, over the last few months, there has been just an outpouring of trust and risk among you guys in terms of how you're responding to what God is doing. And I, I want to say thank you uh, because it's it's just really been tremendous to see uh, or and hear, quite frankly, um, the things that that are happening among you guys uh, in receiving prayer. I've heard of some some folks being healed. I've heard of some uh, prophetic things being said over others and other just faith growing. And so it's really exciting to be here at Quest right now. I hope you're experiencing it too. And and uh, in fact, I want to tell two stories uh, before we get uh, going because I don't think I'll get another chance to really share them. And, and uh, over, the, over the summer, I had the opportunity to take some middle schoolers to Bell Fountain uh, to our summer camp. And then uh, last month, I went to Chicago with a group of high schoolers. And it was amazing the stuff that we experienced first uh, at the middle school camp we it was the theme this year was unbreakable and we were challenging the students to to learn to understand what it means to serve um, an unbreakable Savior and the fact that because we do serve an unbreakable Savior that is that Jesus died on the cross and then was resurrected back to life. He's unbreakable. He's all powerful because of that uh, those of us who, who choose to surrender to him also get to have unbreakable lives and uh, it was really amazing uh, to listen to the kids stories about that but the leadership team as we were planning the camp this this for the summer we wanted to focus on prayer and so we were teaching uh, throughout the week you know how to pray different ways to pray and your students your children engaged in really awesome and fun ways. Almost every night during the worship, one of my favorite things to do was just to stand in the back of the room and watch the students go forward, grab their friends, pray for each other, and uh, just amazing things happen. I know of a couple students who, who were just, they they wanted to increase their spiritual leadership in their life, and so they're asking for prayer for it. I know other students who received some gifts from the Holy Spirit that week, and um, and another person who who received a word from God that was potentially life-changing. And and so it was it was just a fantastic week. Uh, there were encounters with God all over, and your students uh, really grew. And I I just trust that God will um, complete the work that He began there at that camp. Then last month uh, I went to Chicago with um, some students, some high school students, and it was a, we did a mission trip there, and it was it was such a good week and. Many of you guys remember. Actually, if you're normal eleven o'clock attendee, you may not remember all of what happened. Uh, but on J- July twelfth, we were supposed to have Daryl Evans here, right? You guys remember? And um, he was supposed to to lead worship and then um, preach, but he was sick, and so he decided not to show up. <laughs> Thanks, Daryl. <laughs> See if we give you a check. I'm just kidding. Um, no, he was really sick. I am. Mean, uh, but it, we're not recording this, right? Okay, good. Um, Instead, you know, uh, Ross did this impromptu prayer service, which was really amazing. And during the 9:15 service, we prayed for the students who were going to Chicago on the mission trip. And uh, on Monday night, uh, we were talking about that moment when when you guys were praying for the students. And so Ross said to the congregation, "If you guys want to come and pray for the students, please come on down." And and one of those students during that Monday night session said, "You know, I, I came to church on Sunday morning before leaving, and I had to just burn Burdens on in my life. I was worried about going on the trip and dealing with some other stuff, but as I was being prayed for, without prompting, the people who were praying for me prayed directly to those things that were burdening me, that were weighing me down. And, I mean, and it was amazing to, to watch this uh, young man's face as he's sharing this, because it was just full of joy because he knew that God cared about the things that were on his heart he he knew that that god wanted to speak to him in that moment it was just really amazing and then one other story, uh, which I'm, I'm, I can't, I, I, wish the students were here to share them and maybe they'll, they will later, but man, this one is so powerful. Um, we, on Monday night we were at a, a service, a church service, uh, there in Chicago and, and, uh, there was, um, we were listening to this preacher and he's sharing his testimony and right in the middle of his testimony he just stopped. And, uh, he, he there was a, a young man from our group sitting up front and he looked at this young man and just started prophesying over him. And uh it was it was pretty cool, you know, like when you see that kind of thing, you're like, Whoa, gosh, we're listening to God, you know, and, and um and so you know we, we kind of just delighted in that moment for uh that night. Um but then later Thursday night, uh we went to another church service at a different church with a different pastor, and that same young man that was prophesied over, he was invited to come on stage, uh and then the pastor prophesied over him again the same thing that the other pastor prophesied on Monday night. We were like, what? Everyone in the youth group. Yeah. Everyone in the youth group was like, what just happened? Like... That is cool. And, uh, I talked to the student afterwards. I was like, so, so tell me, you know, what are you sensing? And, and, you know, his, he just said, you know, I, I felt like God has been calling me to do this thing. And this was just an affirmation of that, a confirmation of that. And he was, he was really excited and humbled that God would choose to speak to him in that way. And so I want to say thank you to you guys for responding to what God is doing here in this community. Because without your prayers, without you being risky enough to, to come and pray for the students, without you, trusting enough to send your students to these trips, um, if that didn't happen, then our, couldn't, our students couldn't really encounter God the way that they did this summer. It was really powerful, and I was, I'm was i just really glad to be a part of it. So thank you. Thank you, church, um, for participating in that. Well, we're in, in the middle of this series, um, Room to Breathe, and, and last week uh, you... It was awesome to listen to Joe uh, just share some deeply practical ways about how we can worship God by honoring the systems and rhythms that he's designed for us to live by, right? You know, our bodies have optimal ways uh, to run and to perform, and we can do some simple things that will significantly increase the amount of margin that we have in our lives. Now, there is one thing that I do want to correct Joe on. I'm glad you're here, Joe, because I, I need to say this to your face. Um, when Joe was, was talking, he said, you know, some people, you, you know, like workout regimens will help you increase your performance. And, and uh, he said, is there, are there any weightlifters in the room or anyone who's done that? I raised my hand, and you should have seen Joe balk at me. He's like, yeah, right. Well, I got to say, you got to go to the optometrist, buddy, because clearly, clearly, yeah. No, thank you, Joe. Seriously, it, it, uh, it it's so awesome to have a person like Joe here with his knowledge and his wisdom that he can share to us, and 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 I, I just I see the potential uh, of of how we are going to be able to leverage significant margin from for, from our faith community because of what we learned last week. Um, I mean, this this of course I, I think will will increase our impact on the church, on our families, on our community, and ultimately the kingdom of God is really I mean how many how many of you guys after last week went home and you're like oh, I got to go sleep I got to get 9 hours of sleep tonight yeah I just did a deep breathing exercise right over here it's true I visualized it um, well, today, though, I want to consider the other side of the spectrum from deeply practical. I want us to look at the deeply spiritual side of margin and what it means. Spiritually speaking, uh, we gain margin in our lives when we follow the rhythms of Sabbath that are laid out for us in the Bible. Now Sabbath can feel a little bit complicated. It can be a little bit frustrating because there's a ton of nuances that people want to attach to it. Uh, but I hope that we might be able to erase some of that mystery today. I, I really want to, and and um, and and just be able to to understand what it truly means to celebrate sabbath with god so i want to open this morning with our core scripture and uh, then i'm going to pray for us and we'll consider what sabbath is so if you would turn with me to matthew chapter 12 we're going to begin in verse 1 Um, The the story that we're about to read, this account, also takes place in Mark chapter 2, but I prefer the Matthew 12 version because there's a a, a part in it um, in verse 7 that's different from the Mark chapter 2, and I think it adds significant um, help for us in understanding this. So here, read along with me. The words are on the screen. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. And he said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God and he ate the bread of presence, which is not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests. Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. Let me pray for us. Well, God, we are grateful to be here in your house this morning. Pray that um, uh, as we come... That that uh, we, we would just open our hearts and our ears and our minds to what you have for us. Holy Spirit, we invite you into this place. We know you're here, but we, we ask that we would just be receptive uh, to what you want to do. Lord, we thank you for all that you give us. We thank you for the sacrifice of your son that allows us to uh, enter back into relationship with you through him. So we pray this in His name, Jesus. Amen. Okay. So, have you ever been on a road trip uh, before with kids? Anybody been on a road trip with kids? Yeah, I've been on a couple hundred as a youth pastor, and um, it's it's interesting. What's what's the question that you always hear from the back seat of the car when you're on a road trip with kids? Yeah, you know, are we there yet? Right? Like it, it, it's, it's, it's true to everybody. They've all had this experience. Yeah. So, um, uh, normally that kind of question doesn't really get on my nerves, but I noticed on my last trip to Chicago, how like the building frustration that was happening inside of me, because it was, it was that question combined with like six or seven or 10 other questions, you know, like, like, uh, you know, when are we going to eat? Not just, are we there yet? But when are we going to eat? Can I change vans? I don't want to ride with Greg anymore. Can you turn the air down can you turn the air up can we stop for a bathroom break you know I think I left my bag back in Chicago can we turn around and go get it you know like are you kidding me and on and on these questions the question and then you know like when they combined with the the Chicago toll road traffic and the heat of the summer a bit of exhaustion I noticed that it was harder for me to exhibit love to these students I mean there was this building up of a frustration inside of me that made me just want to pop. Have you felt like that here? Anyone? Yeah? Okay. Yeah, so my my wife um, did this experiment with Lofton. I want to do it this morning with you guys um, because it's, it's, it's just a good illustration of this, what it means like when we the pressure just starts to build up inside of us until it pops. So um, Josiah is going to help us. He's bringing um, a... Kitty pool right here because I don't want to make too big of a mess. Although if you've been here at a fusion lock-in, you know the kinds of stuff that we actually do in here and you really wouldn't be worried because it's messy. Sorry, Greg. Um, but, uh, yeah, so, so I've got a Ziploc bag and it's full of vinegar. How many of you guys have done this before? I'm going to drop, um, inside of this bag of, of, of vinegar, I'm going to drop a little pouch with, uh, baking, uh, soda or powder or one of the two. I can't remember which one it's supposed to be. Um, but I'm using one of them, and it worked in the first service, so it probably will be fine. Um, the only thing is I haven't done it with this much vinegar and as much baking soda as I'm going to do, so we'll see how this really works out. But, um, yeah, so has anyone else ever done this? Just me? Okay, yeah. Okay, one, two, three. All right, good. Yeah, this is awesome. Uh, I'm pretty excited about it. It's like a bomb is about to go off. Yeah. Whew! smell that vinegar. All right, you guys ready? Can you see this on the screen? Yeah, seal it up, seal it. Oh, it's already working. I don't know if I have a good seal. Oh yeah, I do. Oh yeah, this is good. We're going to listen to it as well. Full, like full experience. See it, listen to it, smell it, possibly feel it if you're in the front row. Who knows? Can you guys hear it? Oh, gosh. Starting to aim at me now. By the way, um, if you're looking for a brand of freezer bags to buy, Ziploc is pretty good. (laughs) Crazy. This is just baking soda and vinegar in here. Oh, that was better than the last service. That was good. Yeah, so so we see this. Did you guys hear that? Better than I had hoped for ha ha see with a little bit of practice, it works out better. the nine fifteen service kind of went Pff. y'all got the boom right that's so good, yeah, so. So like when these two chemicals start to react it releases this gas and it fills up the bag and uh, and then ultimately it does exactly what it's supposed to do you know it forces its way out and um you know as the pressure built up and there's no place for the air to vent We got an explosion. Now, when I read this account of Jesus in Matthew chapter 12, as he's with his disciples traveling on the road, I can only imagine what it must have been like for Jesus. I mean, his disciples are hungry. It sounds a little bit like 12 high school students in the back of a van driving to Chicago. You know, disciples are hungry um, because, and, you know, they're human. And so, you know, they're asking questions like, when are we going to get there? Um, What can we eat? But there's this other element that's also going on that's nagging at Jesus. The, the Pharisees are on the side of the road, and they're watching him, and they're waiting there to criticize him. I mean, this is really just a New Testament, Testament formula for road rage, okay? I mean, it doesn't happen quite as fast as it does now, but it's still the same thing. Like, oh. Get on my way, right, and um, the Pharisees are there blocking up traffic, just gawking at what Jesus is doing, waiting for him to make some kind of a mistake and and anyone else, anyone else but Jesus would be like the ziploc bag, and they would just pop because they don 't know what to do with with the frustration but but jesus doesn 't see with the disciples he 's cool and he 's collected you know i 'm hungry, they say. Uh, and Jesus creates the first drive-through restaurant ever known to man, right? You know, he pulls up to a wheat field and's like, hey, give me 13 heads of wheat. That'll be 10 denarius, sir. Uh, good thing they didn't go to Chick-fil-A, right? Sunday, it's closed. <laughs> I guess the Pharisees run that restaurant. Just kidding. I love Chick-fil-A, I really do. Any other person, though, with all of that pressure, would feel like they're going to pop. But Jesus has this different insight about life. He kept his cool because of his perspective, you know, which which truly is just it's much bigger than than just the Sabbath. But he uses this moment to teach about what the Sabbath really is, what what life is about. And it's not just life with God or, or you know, life in the kingdom of God, but life as it was designed from the very beginning. I mean, you have to remember that it it goes all the way back to Genesis that we first experienced Sabbath. God creates, does all this work on these six days, and on the seventh day he did what? He rested, he Sabbathed. And, and, And ultimately what we're learning is that Sabbath is born out of this understanding that's super important, very critical for us to know and how for how we live. If we don't, if we don't practice these principles, then then we are more likely going to pop like the Ziploc bag. Or maybe we might learn some really important and helpful principles that are gonna that are gonna keep our emotional, physical and mental capacities from destruction, but all those really do is allow us to live a life in pursuit of what's next, right? You know, that's not really a life of color or of margin. That's really only a life of preparation, which to me is more like a life of frustration. But Jesus is offering so much more here. He's offering a life of extravagance and of splendor, of freedom, of happiness, of superfluous enjoyment. A life that I think many of us long deeply for. I mean, it's the reason that we daydream about far-off places, right? It's the reason that sometimes when we go to restaurants and we get drinks, they come with little umbrellas and fruit in them because we we want something that's tropical. I don't know. It's the reason TGIF exists. We, we want to just cut loose from loose from the chains of responsibility and frustration. And, and get this. Jesus is saying that we can have this every single week. Every single week as prescribed by God, the great physician. So so let's let's see how Jesus handles this moment of pressure and what it has to offer us. So the Pharisees' challenge, it's um, first of all, um is that the disciples are working on the Sabbath, that they're breaking the Sabbath law. And uh the simple version of Jesus' response uh to them is hey guys, the purpose of the Sabbath is not about following some rules. It's about benefiting the person, period. That's the reason that we have these rules. So, so Jesus, he says it though in a way that, that really made the Pharisees want to blow their Ziploc pop, top. Um, so, um, do, you, do you ever have you guys ever had that moment, like, when you're having a confrontation with someone and you're talking to them and you just can't get the right words out? You guys know what I'm talking about? And you come back later, like, you move away from that argument and you think about, oh, I wish I had just said that. That would have been so great. You know, ooh, why couldn't I have done that? You guys know what I'm talking about? Well, this is how I know Jesus is perfect. Because, see, when he's in that moment of confrontation, he says exactly the right thing in exactly the right way to make these guys Whew. And not that that's why he's doing it, to make them fume. But, man, he just he gets the point across. And, and ultimately, this is what he says to them is a serious slam for the Pharisees. The Pharisees are the self-appointed guardians of the temple, okay? Their, their job is to protect the temple, its traditions. And, of course, this includes the Sabbath. And, and Jesus makes two dangerous claims here in Matthew 12 to these men. One when he invokes the name of David, particularly from this story, and you can read more about it uh, in 1 Samuel chapter 21 if you'd like. What, what he's talking about is he's talking about David who is on the run. Okay, so at this point in David's life, he has already been anointed by Samuel to be king of God's people, king of Israel. But he's not on the throne of God because Saul won't get off. You guys know the story, you know what I'm talking about? Saul is pursuing after David, trying to kill him. And as David and his, his people are on the run, they step into the place of worship. And the priests who uh, like were for David being king, they, they helped him out. They gave him the bread of presence. They gave him the, the food that was, that was supposed to be meant for sacrifice um, there at the uh, altar. And Jesus, what he's doing by aligning himself with David, he's saying that I am the true king who is not yet on the throne. That's huge, okay? I'm the one who's really supposed to be in charge. And then he drops the second bomb on the Pharisees by saying, The things that I choose to do in the temple... They are okay because both me and these disciples are more important than the temple and all the things that go on inside of it. He has just rocked the Pharisees' world. Ziploc popped. I mean, it's no wonder that the Pharisees wanted him dead. Because he is challenging their position, their significance, their jobs. I mean, basically, how they wrapped up their significance was in how well they lived out the law. And how well they observed the law. And how well they enforced the law. And Jesus is saying, you don't even get it. Jesus is bringing this new teaching about the law. And it's fresh. And it's full of life. I mean... Think about it. Who, who are laws made for anyway, right? Think about this. Okay, so um, they're made usually for people who don't know how to live huh, or stay alive. It's like when, when we have babies and children, we give them all kinds of rules, you know. Uh, don't run with scissors. Don't run into traffic. Don't do all this kinds of stuff. Because we know that if they, if they didn't have rules or laws, they would die, right? Isn't that right? I mean, simply put. I mean, it's a simplified version of it. They probably suffer a little bit first. But... Um, uh, we make clear rules, though, for our kids to follow because we want them alive and healthy. Uh, you know, But when those kids get older, as they grow up, do we make sure that they follow every letter of every law that, or rule that we've ever given them as they were children? No, because we know that they understand the purpose behind it, right? It's kind of like um, a, a, a fusion. Um, for instance, case in point. If you were to volunteer with me in February at the lock-in, hint, hint, uh, you would hear me uh, give the main rule, rule number one that we give at every single youth event. Guess what it is? don't die. Joe is right. He knows it. Don't die. It seems like a low bar. It really does. But it's, I mean, it's not. I mean, we don't want your kids to die. But no, the reason that we are able just to say that, don't die, is because we know that you guys have been teaching your kids to, to not do all of those crazy things that you know that they shouldn't do. You've been saying, don't do this and don't do that. Don't eat the yellow snow because you're going to die. Don't do it. And so, We're trusting, we're trusting that you're raising your kids well, and so when they come to us, we say, hey, have a good time, and don't die. It's that simple. (laughs) Um, Eventually, what happens for all of us is that our medulla oblongata becomes fully formed, and we're about 25. You guys know what I'm talking about. It's right here, I think. Um, And uh, once it's fully formed, what do we understand? We understand the consequences of our actions. And we realize that the rules are really about living a life without suffering and without consequences. And that is really what's going on here when we're thinking about the law of God for the Old Testament and the New Testament. Think Here, listen to this. So... The people of God didn't know how to have a relationship with him. They were just broken and flawed and wandering around. And so God says, all right, here's ten commandments. If you follow these ten commandments, then you are going to learn how to have a relationship with me, right? Fourth commandment is what? Honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. And uh, after hundreds of years of growing up and maturing and debating all the nuances of the laws and then creating significantly more laws, like 613, God finally comes to his people and says, Okay, you're finally becoming a little bit more mature. You understand the purpose behind the laws and why they exist. You can sort of interpret them for yourselves. Now, let me be careful here. Jesus, remember, said that he came not to destroy the rules But to what? To fulfill them, right? So we're not talking about just getting rid of the laws. That's not what this is about. But but it's about helping us to interpret them and understand the purpose behind them so we can live stronger, better, healthier, and fuller lives. Jesus says, you say you shall not murder, but if you think about killing someone, then you've already done it in your heart and you're guilty of it and so on. You know, Jesus says this about all the, the Ten Commandments. You know, if you, if you lust after a woman, you've already committed adultery. What Jesus is doing here as he's teaching these things is he's elevating the laws for us. He's not abolishing them. He's elevating them, not to make them harder to live by, but ultimately to free us from the damages that we incur when we do bad things. That's the purpose. Once we understand the consequences of bad decisions, we don't want to make the bad decisions because we don't want to suffer through them. Jesus knows, Jesus knows that if we do certain things, that our lives aren't going to be that full. It's like, you know, if if we don't kill someone, but we still hold bitterness against them in our hearts, you know, are we better off for, for not killing them? Well, maybe a little bit. You know, we're not guilty of murder. We're not going to be on death row, but our life isn't full. We 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 still suffer the damages of that bitterness that we hold against that person. And so, ultimately, what Jesus is doing is he's he's saying, don't 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 think about killing someone. Why? Because it's going to ruin your life. Don't hold that bitterness inside of you. You want a better life. You want a full and joy filled life. And if you do, then get rid of those bad thoughts, those negative thoughts. Understand what the law is really about. It's about giving you a fuller life. Because, and this is important, no one can really follow all of the laws. I mean, it's impossible for us to. Jesus was the only one to ever do it. What it's really about in, in, in trying to follow them is ultimately freeing ourselves From the damaging consequences, the sludge and drudgery that makes its way into our lives because of the evil that exists in our world. The law is designed to help our lives be lived better. Therefore, the law is made for man. Sabbath is made for man and not man being made for the laws. And those people who followed the one and only person who ever walked the earth and was able to fulfill every single law, those who followed him would be saved from the ultimate fate of death. So Jesus' statement here in Matthew 12 concerning the Sabbath is really about maturation. It's about growing up and, and learning that the law for the Sabbath was made so that people could flourish in life. Not, not so that they would be bound by some legal requirement. It's not law for law's sake, it's, it's law for man's sake. The law makes us better followers of God. And Sabbath ultimately makes us better followers of God. We can believe in Jesus and trust in the eternal life that we'll experience through him in the kingdom of God that is to come. But still miss out on the fullness of what God wants us to experience here and now if we just don't understand what he's saying right here. Jesus proclaimed that the kingdom of God was both coming in the future and able to be experienced here in the present. He even taught us to pray, may your kingdom come, God. May your will be done on earth right now as it is in heaven. And when we choose to follow, when we choose to follow the principles of the Sabbath, what we're doing is we're bringing in the kingdom of God here to us presently so what then what is sabbath is it does sabbath just mean sunday does it mean saturday differing opinions right is it just a a 24-hour period of time that we take off where we don't light you know fires or you know do any work or clean or walk more than half a mile i don't know some people think it's all of those things but but I, I really think that there's so much more to understanding what Sabbath is. Sabbath is made for man, remember. You know, the rules are designed to help us experience a fuller life in God. And here's how I think it works. We don't do work on the Sabbath because, what does it do? It draws our attention away from God. Right? Right? When we celebrate the Sabbath, what we're doing is we're celebrating God. And when we do other things that draw our attention away from him, then we can't celebrate him the way that he wants us to, the way that you know really makes us experience a much fuller life. I love I what Joe did last week um, when he was talking about understanding our purpose and defining our purpose. He said, let's not make it difficult to understand. Let's not make it mysterious, okay? Let's keep it simple. I think in the same way, we we need to treat the Sabbath. It's incredibly important for us to, to not make celebrating Sabbath or celebrating God mysterious. So here's what we're celebrating. Let me add to that. Hold on. On the Sabbath, here's what we are extravagantly celebrating because, I say extravagant because God is extravagant in all that he does. Here's three things. This is not a complete list by any means, but it's three simple things that we can consider that uh, to, to celebrate um, when we take rest with God. God's creation, God's provision, and God's salvation. Okay? So let's talk about this. How is God extravagant in these ways? He creates extravagantly. Duh. Yeah. Right. If I was in charge of creation, you know, Genesis 1 in the beginning, Jeremy said, let there be whatever. This world would be full of stick figures and no one's color would be inside the lines because, I mean, seriously. Right. Like when we are comparing ourselves to God in terms of his creation, we're more like kindergartners. Okay. And, and and we, we can't, we can't even come to the place where, where like God's creation is so intricate and it's so precise. Every function that exists points to His extravagance. It's beautiful. So when we celebrate His creation, what do we do? We go and we enjoy it. We experience it. Maybe we create ourselves and we, and we thank God that we can create. Right? Isn't that what we do? We go out and we enjoy what God has given to us. And speaking of that, provision. Think about how God extravagantly provides. Use the Israelites for an example. They needed guidance in the desert, right? They're trying to get to the promised land. They don't know where to go. Where are we going? So what does Moses do? He says, hey, um, we, need, we need some guidance. And God provides them with what? A pillar of fire. You know, by night, a cloud by day. I, I can only imagine Moses just sitting there going, God, like, we, we just needed like a flashlight, okay? We didn't need a thousand forest fires to guide us, you know, through the night, this pillar of fire. But God does it that way because he's extravagant, because He's he's over the top. He wants us to understand that he's going to provide for us, and we don't have to worry about it. We just need to ask, right? God loves us that much that he does more than what's necessary. Salvation. (laughs) Talk about extravagance. From Exodus on, God saves and he saves and he saves in remarkable ways up until Christ comes. And think about Christ's return. What's going to happen? How is Christ coming back to us uh, in his second coming, right? He's going to be riding on clouds with a symphony. Okay, bigger than big is what it is. It's going to be a tremendous event. And when we begin to think about how God saved us in the first place by by taking his only son and surrendering him to death on a cross, that's over the top. I, I'm not going to suggest that it was unnecessary, although I've wondered. Was it necessary for God to give His Son to have Him die that way so that we could be brought back into relationship with Him? I don't know. I really don't know. But what I do know is that when Christ did that, it was so big. It was so bold. It was so grand. And we get to celebrate in that. God is big. And all of this extravagance just points to His splendor. And that's what I think Sabbath is really about. It isn't just rest from work, because that's that's really practical. It's good and it's helpful, and, and, and we need to. But but Sabbath is really a celebration of God and how God has has created and cared for and and saved His people, and, and we should be doing things that are just as extravagant, just as superfluous and over the top as we offer our. Rest to him. See, see, Sabbath really isn't just supposed to be about ceasing from work. Of course, that's part of it. But when we think about it from the worker's point of view, a worker does what they do because that's how they take care of the things that are needed in order to live. Good, yes, true. But what about when the work never ceases? Let me, let me just provide a little bit of context here, biblical context. What God says concerning Sabbath laws in relation to work. Uh, Deuteronomy 5.12 says this, Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy, as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work, but on the seventh day it's a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you should not do any work, or you or your son or your daughter your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who is within the gates. That your male servant and your female servant may rest well as you. Here's the key, verse 15. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commands you to keep the Sabbath day. See, the text in Deuteronomy, it's highlighting the slavery that the people of God were rescued from. The Pharaoh made the Israelites slave for seven days. Create more bricks. No, you don't have more straw. Work hard. I don't care if you die. It doesn't matter. It's not about you. It's about me. And then God comes in and he rescues them. So really is this Sabbath law about not working? Or is it really about God rescuing? It's about God rescuing. It's about how he saves us. And we don't have to worry about work anymore. And this is probably the most beautiful thing that we can ever think about. See, when we think about the cross and we think about what work Christ did on the cross in order to bring us back into relationship... What we understand is that when we choose, when we accept that free gift of salvation, there is no more work that we have to do in order to gain or experience the love of God. We can't do anything to make God love us more, right? We are accepted We we are a part of the family of God as sons and daughters. There's nothing that we can do. And so on the Sabbath, when we say no to work and we rest with God, what we're saying is we are secure in your arms. We trust in your salvation. We trust in what you've done for us, Jesus. Thank you. So we rest. We don't work. We don't have to provide. We're not in control. We understand that. But we're also not afraid that we're not... Going to be accepted. Think about it this way: Do you guys have something in your life that you love almost infinitely? Maybe, maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's a a kid, or maybe it's cake. I don't know. Um, donuts, right? Guilty pleasure, right? How many of you have a, no, you don't have to raise your hands. I'm sure all of us have some kind of a guilty pleasure. I've got a guilty pleasure. I figured out what mine was um, about 10 years ago. I had I had just married Alexis, and we were going off to our honeymoon, and it was, it was a beautiful honeymoon. It was already paid for. All we had to do was just go and experience it. And um, it was there that I found my guilty pleasure. Get your minds out of the gutter, okay? It's not what you think. Um, what what happened was like on the first night that we were there, we went to this restaurant. It was a Brazilian restaurant. I mean, you guys ever been to one of these places? You know, it's, it's amazing. All they serve is meat. Okay, if you want to know, that's my guilty pleasure. I, I it's like I'm I'm eating at this restaurant, and every dish that they bring out is like it just melts in my mouth. It's succulent. It's wonderful. It can't be. nothing can beat it it's the greatest thing on the planet then they bring something else out and it's like that's better than the last one how is this even possible oh it was it was wonderful it was wonderful guilty pleasures right i i think in some way we are god's guilty pleasure okay there's nothing that we can do to be better there's, there's nothing that, that we can, can do to gain more love from God. Jesus took care of that on the cross. And, and so when we get to this one day of the week, the Sabbath, we get to lay down all of our guards and we get to relax. And we get to look to God who loves us, who accepts us, who provides for us, who creates for us. And we get to celebrate him. Right? Right? Now, today I don't want us to move too deep into like all the practical ways uh, that we can celebrate them. Honestly, next week we're going to talk about that. But today, what I want us to do, I just want us to stay here in this moment where we can delight in God, where we can we can be with him, present with him, just uh enjoying our encounter with him. And and we are gonna celebrate uh salvation. We're gonna celebrate celebration through the Eucharist, through communion. You know, crucifixion, while it was one of the darkest moments in all of history, it was also one of the brightest encounters that we ever get to have with God. You know, as we celebrate communion, we do it with thanksgiving because of the sacrifice that Christ made. Because now we stand before God without any fear, knowing that we are fully accepted. And that's why we break this bread, which represents the body of Christ that he broke for us. That's why we drink from the cup. Today we're going to dip the bread into the cup. But that's why we drink from the cup of juice that represents the blood that Jesus shed on the cross, that he spilled so that our sins could be forgiven. And we're going to, we get to delight in that. Delight that we don't have to do any work, but we just celebrate in the presence of God, here with him, knowing that we are fully accepted. So today I'm going to invite you to come and to receive the elements, And I want you to do it just with a glad heart, with a thankful heart, taking this moment in as we worship, just being present with him, thanking Christ for his sacrifice. I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to um, worship. Well, God, we thank you. We thank you that you create rhythms for us that allow us to rest that allow us to take a break that allow us to see and celebrate who you are how wonderful you are how big you are how grand you are and we thank you that that you do things in such a big way so that we can delight so that we can have a full life and so today we we just ask that that we would be open enough to live a full life, a life without worry, a life without toil, a life without all of that frustration. But Lord, just celebrating you in this moment, what you have done for us, your provision, your creation, your salvation. And we say thank you, especially to you, Jesus, for your sacrifice. For without it, we couldn't be here today. So thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Now come and celebrate the the death and resurrection of Christ as we receive communion. Thank you, church. As we continue to worship, I I want you to to just think, like, you know, we are here at this Sabbath, and and I just want to encourage you to to continue to be reminded of how God has just done big and extravagant things on your behalf creation and salvation and provision. And and so as you leave this place, just continue to celebrate and rest in him. Church, it's wonderful to worship with you today. So let's continue to worship. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon audio. If you are loving Quest podcasts, let us know on Facebook or Twitter by using the hashtag GoToQuest. For more information about Quest, who we are and what we do, or if you would like to help support Quest financially, please visit us at gotoquest.org. That's G-O-T-O-Quest.org.